0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from Romans, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. It's found on page 939 of your Bible, your Bible. Hear the word of our Lord. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in their lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. This is the word of our Lord.
1: Whom do you worship? In whom do you serve? We read in Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Most people don't like to hear the words, the wrath of God. Even evangelicals, even we evangelicals avoid using that term in any description of God. The wrath of God. We think it's a very ungodlike term, don't we? God's a God of mercy. God's a God of grace. We read it last week in Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Remember? The Lord passed by in front of Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God. A God, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, abounding in faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, forgiving transgression, forgiving sin, all of that. We love that. But then what's the next sentence say? We read it last week. But who will by no means clear the guilty? Well, we liked those first terms, didn't we? That's Godlike. Those terms are godlike, but that last sentence by no means will clear the guilty. That verse, Romans one eighteen, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Why is God's wrath being revealed? Well, because it's against all ungodliness or unrighteousness of man. His wrath is the application of holy justice. Ungodliness, that word refers to man's impiety. That means man's irreverence, to man's rebellion, for man's illicit treatment of God. Unrighteousness in that verse refers to man's unethical living, how we live with each other. You see, what he's saying is there's a reason for the wrath. God's not just being capricious. He didn't wake up on the wrong side of the bed. It's not vengeance. It's not unjust anger. It's understandable anger. It's justice. This week, or wasn't this week, this month, in the month of February, I read of a judge's decision. I read part of the decision. I saw him deliver it on television. It was filled with a righteous indignation. It just wasn't a cold, monotone deliverance of a sentence. He was angry with the criminal. He was angry with what had been done. It was a heinous crime. And I agreed with the judge. I was glad to see the anger. I was glad to see the wrath. Well, it's all right for an earthly judge to do that, but God, you can't do that. No, 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 no. Where did that judge got it? He got it from the ultimate judge. Paul began by focusing first. What was the first word he used to justify his wrath? Ungodliness. Because that's the root of unrighteous living. Our adultery does not begin with adultery, with the love of someone else. Our adultery begins with impiety. It begins with a disregard for God. Our impiety, our lack of reverence for God, our rebellion against God, that is a source of our unethical treatment. It's a source of all of our sins. We don't have any sin in our lives that's not directly tied to idolatry. Now, how are we ungodly then? Mankind is apt to say, I- I'm not ungodly. I'm not justified. I'm-, I'm not deserving of his wrath. Well, the attorney Paul begins to answer that statement. He he says, it's revealed from heaven against the ungodliness, against the unrighteousness. And then he says, for, for this reason, for what can be known about God is plain. Look at verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. God's not hidden. It's not that they don't know he exists. It's plain. He uses the same Greek word. You would see the word there that says God, what is known about God, is plain to them. That word is the same word that's used several words down, has shown it to them. In the the Hebrew mind, if they wanted to emphasize something, they simply repeated the word or repeated the sentence. And he repeats the word. It's plain. Who is God? God is. Makes it plain. Well, you say, how's God make Himself known? Look at verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Now, he says God's invisible attributes, God's invisible characteristics, God's invisible qualities. They're invisible. He says they're invisible. Our attributes, our characteristics, I know Tyler, I know Rick Abernathy, I know Russ White, they're all different. They have different characteristics. Believe me, Tyler and Rick don't want to be like Russ. You know? They they have different characteristics. And we we can see each other's characteristics. But God is not sitting here. He's invisible. He's a spirit. He has not a body like man. That's a beautiful play on words that Paul makes. Invisible. He says they're invisible. And then he says they're clearly seen. He had to smile. They're invisible. How how do you see what, how do you see clearly what is invisible? He tells us. Being understood from what has been made. He's saying you can look at creation. You look at what he's made. And you can see. What God is like. The universe is God's artwork. The tree is God's artwork. The lake is God's artwork. The ocean is God's artwork. The mountains are God's artwork. Look at the night sky. You see you see the stars. You see the galaxies. What does that tell you about God? He's omnipotent. We talk about the universe, the solar system, being thousands of light years away, other solar systems. We talk about how immense. I think our solar system is 27,000 light years away from the center of the Milky Way galaxy. It's immense, this universe. It tells us that God is omnipotent. It tells us that God is omniscient. That He's eternal. That He loves beauty. That He's vast. Psalm 19, 1-4 memorize that. It will be a blessing to you if you memorize it. Because when you're out walking in the woods, when you're out walking in the neighborhood, when, you, when you're driving along the highway, when you see the mountains or you see the ocean, you can say this verse. You can say those four verses. They're Among the most beautiful verses in all of Scripture, the heavens declare The glory of God. And the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Do you realize what that's saying? The heavens are preaching the glory of God. Not just that God exists. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying that when you look at God's creation, it doesn't just tell you that He exists. It tells you what He's like. The heavens declare. They preach the glory of God. The sky preaches His handiwork. Day to day. Pours out speech. What's that mean? Twenty-four-seven. It's the message of the sun of the day. It's the message of the stars and the moon at night. It's a story of all. It's a preaching of all creation around us. Twenty-four-seven preaching universally. He says there's no speech, no no language where this voice is not heard. The message is delivered universally. We send missionaries all around the globe delivering the message of the gospel, delivering the message of the cross, and we do well. We, command, we, we are commanded to do that. But the message that, that, the, the message of God's creation is delivered every day, everywhere. Immanuel Kant, an 18th century German philosopher, He taught in his philosophy that one could not look at creation and reason back to God. He erased the traditional argument for the existence of God by saying that, that one could not reason God from the creation. We could not look at the visible creation and see an invisible God. That is what Kant taught. That's very much where secular philosophy is today. Paul stood opposite of Kant and said that you could not only see that there was a God. What this verse is saying is that you could see what God is like. Now we must say one cannot see the details of of Christ and salvation through his atonement at the cross. You can't see that in creation. God's creation may not speak to us of the cross, but it speaks to us plainly of who God is. You don't have to be a scientist to see it plainly. James Montgomery Boyce, what a dear man, what a faithful man, one of the great prophets in this land in the last half of the 20th century. He said this. This is Jim Boyce quote, there's enough evidence of God in a flower to lead a scientist or a child to worship him. Paul would say, Amen. David would say, Amen. The Holy Spirit would say, Amen. There's enough evidence of God in a flower to lead a scientist or a child to worship him. God says it this way. There is no excuse. That's how the verse ends. There's no excuse. So they are without excuse. What has man made? What has man made? This building? This table? This this watch? Cars outside? What have we made? What's mankind made that's more complex than an atom or a molecule or quarks or planets, or solar systems, or suns, or black holes. Man's inventions are trinkets compared to these things. But what if I told you that that maroon car out there, that just happened, just came together, just by chance. All of my, Everything just sort of blew together didn't have anything to do with mankind making. You would have me committed. An astronaut enters a faraway solar system and lands on a planet. On this planet, he sees buildings. No people. No life in the sense of human beings. He enters one of these buildings. And he sees beautiful paintings of scenes from all over the galaxy. In fact, he sees one colorful painting of Earth. He radios back to Earth and tells them what he's found. And the communications command center just goes berserk. Life has been found. We're not alone. And the astronaut. Is astounded. He says, what do you mean? There are buildings here. There's there's art here. But but there's no life. I mean, these things just happened. These paintings don't prove an artist. These buildings don't prove an architect. The command center would laugh at the astronauts' lack of understanding. The headlines all over earth would read, we're not alone. Someone else is here. Folks, that's exactly, that's exactly what modern man has done. That astronaut did it. Immanuel Kant looked at something far more complex than buildings and paintings. And he said, there's no evidence that it was created or designed by God. Paul said, I beg to differ. The Holy Spirit said, I beg to differ. God built the evidence into his creation. You see, what have we done with that evidence? Here is the impiety. Here is man's impiety. Here is my impiety. What do we do with it? Look at verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God but gave but give thanks. To him or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. They saw evidence and they buried it. They saw the evidence and said, That's not the truth. People, it's a dangerous thing to bury the truth. You bury the truth long enough and it becomes the norm. Our culture says proud day. Defiantly a woman has the right to terminate the life of a baby growing in her womb in accordance to her convenience. In fact, if somehow they're accidentally born, we can still terminate that life. I watched Terry and I watched this week on television. As fellow citizens, as women in our country, screamed proudly that this was a right, that their bodies belonged to them, that that life in their womb belonged to them. They could do what they wanted to with it. That's the impiety. In our society, that used to be a crime. And we buried the truth. And now, abortion is the norm of our society. If I stand and say a woman does not have the right to terminate the baby's life at her convenience, I'm opposing, not just I'm opposing the law of our land. Now, do you understand the impiety, and God's wrath. Here's another lie. Young people in junior high, high school, we say have sexual desires. And it's natural for them to completely live out their sexual desires. Sexual relationships between young people is a good and healthy thing as long as they practice safe sex. It's it's. That's all over. Not New York or Chicago. It's all up and down Highway 64 here in Fayette County. turn to Scripture. God created the sexual relationship for marriage. That's archaic. That's antique. That's out of date. Can't listen to anything like that. That's not cool. That's the impiety. Listen to me, teenager. Listen to me. You bury the truth and the lie will become the norm. You suppress the truth long enough and you'll kill the conscience. Paul said it this way. Claiming to be wise. They became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. There's the impiety. Don't miss this. Look at it. Do you see it? There's the impiety. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God. Here's God in all of his glory. The maker, the creator, omniscient, omnipotent, glorious. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. They made images to make to look... What did they look like? What did the images look like? Mortal man. They made images of themselves. They made images of birds and animals. They made an image of a of a cow and said, that's God. They made an image of a son and said, that's God. They made evidence images of a snake and said, the snake's God. That's man's impiety. That's man's treatment of God. That's where all sin starts. Now I know what you're saying. Oh, John, we laugh. We laugh at this. We've grown out of that. That's primitive. We don't do that any longer. I don't have an image in my bedroom that I go bow down to. Don't walk into the house and bow down to an image. I'm glad you said that. Because Paul knows you, and the Holy Spirit knows you. And so he wrote this. Look at verse 25. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature, rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. He left image out of there, didn't he? He didn't talk about images and reptiles and animals there and birds. He simply says that we took things that God created and gave them the attention that is due to God alone. We gave the stuff God made, the status That we should only give to God. Do you know that God made money? Money's not evil. Money's good. God made the economy. He made man. Man's the economy is not man's idea, it's God's idea. Things have value. We trade those things. God created power, He's omnipotent. He's omnipotent. There's no power like Him on earth. You want to talk about ultimate power? God has it. He knows all about power. Pleasure. He made pleasure. pleasure. Sex. He made sex. Sex was not man's idea. It was God's. And He made it not only for procreation, but He made it for pleasure. Clothes. Do you know that God made the first set of clothing? Adam and Eve, leaving the garden? God said, hey, wait a minute. You're going to need some clothes. Also, it's a hostile world out there. We take what God has made, and it becomes, we take, we take money. And that becomes, we love money more than God. Power. We love power more than God. Position. We love position more than God. Pleasure. We love pleasure more than God. We love sex more than God. We love clothes more than God. We love self more than God. We love the sports that we play more than God. What is it? I mean, we can go down the list. Do you, as parents, Do you worship your children? Do you give them the adoration and love that belongs to God alone? What's the difference between a man who lives to own a Ferrari and a man who bows down to a a snake? Not one whit of difference. One's just cooler than the other. That's all. Folks, that's the impiety. Whatever it is, however good it looks, however cool it looks. The wrath of God has been revealed. Why is God's judgment on man? Because man is ungodly. Paul has proven he is indictment. What is is the most frequent question asked of ministers? What about those poor, innocent natives, wherever they are, who have never heard? Folks, there are no poor, innocent natives. What about the poor, guilty natives? who's never heard the gospel. They will not be condemned for rejecting Jesus. No. They'll be condemned for rejecting God, for being impious, for not worshiping the God who is there. Man wants to be more, more than anything, man Wants to accuse God of being unjust. We don't merit God's wrath. We're good. Man has treated his Creator with unbridled disgust. It's not just a lack of reverence, it's that he has reshaped God into animals. He's reshaped God. The angels are horrified at this, into stuff. Or he just laughs at the very existence of God. If I treated treated this nation, my home country, as I have treated God in my heart, I would be tried for treason and I would be without defense. If I treated my parents the way that I treated God, my neighbors would tell of my repulsive inhuman behavior and I would be without defense. Let's hear the end of it. All through Scripture, idolatry is confronted from beginning to end. It's the major sin. It's the impiety. The Apostle John, he wrote so much about the love of God. Wrote that wonderful gospel. Then he wrote this precious letter, 1 John. Wrote it to church. Church like us. You know what? And he he speaks in there about the incarnation. Great incarnation. God becoming flesh. Talks about God's grace and God's mercy and how faithful he is if we confess our sins. He talked about how we're to love each other and even love our enemies. Beautiful letter. Do you know how it ends? This monumental letter. Do you know how it is? Do you know the last words of 1 John? What he said to this congregation that he knew and loved? He said, little children, keep yourselves from idols. He could have said, keep yourself from impiety. What was he saying? Remember who God is. What was what was Romans 1:25 they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. They worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. I have to ask myself this question Whom do you worship? Whom do you serve? Our hymn is an answer to those questions.